Hi, readers. Kari here. This is another very special episode. We first aired Born a Crime in 2019 for a select group of test listeners, and we're giving that episode to you now. Uh, you can tell in our conversation that we're not going through a pandemic, so please keep that in mind. Also, the audio is going to be a little different. I hope we've improved within a year. Let us know what you think. And without further ado, here is Born a Crime by Trevor Noah from the Lit Society podcast. Enjoy, you guys. A young boy struggles to find himself in a world where he was never supposed to exist. Through it all, he's guided and championed by his fearless mother, a woman determined to save her son from the cycle of poverty, violence, and abuse that would ultimately threaten both their lives. His name is Trevor Noah, the book is Born a Crime, and you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. And this is Alexa. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Alexis, how you been? How was your week? I had a good week. Um, I had an opportunity to go out of town for work. Yeah, you went to Dallas. Yep. It was my first time in Dallas. How was it? Yeah, given it was a work week, yeah. it was very you know difficult to really assess how Dallas was. Yeah, you Dallas might as well was. be in Chicago. Mm-hmm. The weather was good, though, um, and I was happy about that. The sun shone. Shined? <laughs> Every day? Shoned. The sun shoned. Yeah, yeah. We'll look it up after the show. Because I don't think that sounds Mm -hmm. right. The sun was showing. Okay. Well, it did shine in the sky. Nice. And um, I think it was As opposed to the ground. I hate when the sun is shining (laughs) in the ground. Ooh, hot feet. (laughs) The sun. The, um... So anyway, stop interrupting me. This is why people complain (laughs) that the intro is too long. (laughs) I'm getting to my point. I'm sorry. Listen. (laughs) (laughs) so that's great i'm glad you had a great time at work in dallas you know i've never been to wait i'm lightheaded (laughs) i had a good week too thank you for asking um (laughs) yeah so um i saw everyone i've ever known in my life this week and and it was great. There was a lot of laughing, cry, crying. It was a solemn occasion, but it was a good time for reflection on my life and how I use it. And I feel very rejuvenated mentally and physically. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. So that kind of flows into our theme of the week. So each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. And the theme this week is family versus environment, which has the most significant influence in our lives. And Alexis, you and I um, read a book that referenced a study by Judith Rich Harris. She wrote a book called The Nurture Assumption, Why Children Turn Out the Way They Do. And in that book, she challenges the idea um, that the personality of adults is determined chiefly by the way we were raised by our parents or by our parents' personalities. Instead, she believes that our primary um, socializing agents are the children we go to school with, the children in our neighborhood, the peers who we look to as important. Um, They are shaping who we become as adults. Uh, What do you think about that? Do you think our family plays the biggest role in who we become or is it our environment, as in the peers and the people in our neighborhood? I find that I find it difficult to raise one above the other. Family versus environment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I and I say that because for different people, it's different things, uh, and it depends on what that environment looks like at home. Yeah, it's a very blanket statement to mm-hmm. say that our peers influence us more than our parents. Yeah, and I. I, I I can't get behind that as one being 90% and one being 10%. If you had to give a percentage, what would you say? I can't. I just can't. My mind won't go there Mm -hmm, because because so many things contribute to who we become in the end. Talk more about that. Like why? So external influences versus family. So Mm -hmm. you may have the school environment of classmates where children bully you. Right. Right. Um, well, I guess bullying today is different from bullying when I was a kid. Or maybe who we, maybe we are um, more sensitive than we were before and more violent. So the bullies are more violent and those being picked on are more sensitive, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps. But the environment's definitely different. Right. 
And so if we have a positive environment at home at bullying one in our school, what our schoolmates, um, I don't necessarily what they think of us, how they treat us. If we, mm-hmm. right. I don't necessarily think that that is going to play a huge role because at some point, and I cannot relate it to people today, but just overall, at some point, that bullying passes. Yeah, you're Can not, I say that? Sure. I mean, there's always a bully in every environment. I think at some point you stop giving that bully the attention that they're feeding off. Because even in the workplace, there are bullies and it's sad. It is. <clears throat> you really stand out when you're a 30, 35 year old bully. Mm-hmm, you do. Mm-hmm. You do. When I think about when I, I was hurt you bullied in school. Um, when I think about myself being bullied in school, I don't feel like I turned turned around and turned into a bully. Um, I, so I want to advocate for Judith a little bit because she she's not trying to say that parent, well, according to her, she is not saying that parents don't matter at all, but that the factor that they, um, the factor that they provide in shaping who we ultimately become is let's say 10% of this cocktail and 50% is going to be our environment. The kids at school, the kids in our neighborhood, really those that we see as on the same level as us, which is a scary thought that we're going to, that a child would allow their peers at school who know just as much as them when it comes to life to shape who they become as adults. I just don't But that is that. her argument. And somewhere in there, genes do play a factor. She also um, admits, for example, she believes that the or she has um, presented as evidence cases where adopted children um, show little um, reflect only slightly the personality of their adoptive parents, mm-hmm. but reflect more the personalities of their biological pa- parents who they may not have even known. Yeah. So to her, genes are a bigger factor than even the parental influence. Okay. And so when I think about that particular incident or expression yeah. that the, um, or that um, adoptive example. parents, yeah. yeah, that particular mm-hmm. example, adoptive parents. I remember hearing that when I was in school and they brought that out. And I just remember having such a visceral reaction to that because I knew someone that had recently adopted a child. And I've really felt like, how could this be? Mm-hmm. That means there's no hope. Mm-hmm. I mean, does that really mean that I can't, ins- she can't instill or the parents can't instill anything into this child yeah. and then become better than what their parents but were? But there's a flip side to that because if you're in a household that is very toxic, you do not have to just be a product of your household. You can look for good influences outside of the household, right? Right. Um, so everyone has to choose. I, I have to believe that there's some choice there that you have to choose what's going to influence you and who you become, even as a child. Right. So if I think about and I'm going to take this here, if I think about how a part of my life or not a part of my life, my father was mm-hmm. and I could go through life hating him mm-hmm. because of that. But I had to make a decision not to. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so. But the impact that his, the lack of his presence has, yes. the fact that he's not there that has on me affects me, right? Mm-hmm. But I get to decide how that affects me, mm-hmm. right? Because I make Absolutely. my decisions, yeah. right? In relationships, I get to decide that. So and I we're can't. responsible for and who just, we decide to become. So we can never just say, well, because my parents were this way, that's why I'm this way. Or because... I mean, really, if you tell someone because the kids as an adult, if you tell someone, well, the kids at school treated me like this. So that's why I'm like this at 65 years old. People are going to look at you like you're crazy. Absolutely. When does the agency play a factor in who you become? You have the choice. When do you set responsibility for your own actions? Yeah. So I think a lot of things go into who we become as adult. Yeah, we can take a little bit of what happened in school Mm -hmm. or or even at work or high school, whatever. Right. We can take all of that and we can take our home and we can pull it together. And then there's also the experiences mm -hmm. that we have that also shape who we become. Yes. And it's not like you hit a certain age and that's you. Right. We are always changing. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's like a little recipe there. We can choose the ingredients that form the final cake. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a decision. 
Alexis, can you give us some context? Who is Trevor Noah? Why should we care? Okay. Things like that. Mm-hmm. All right. So <laughs> Trevor is a 35-year-old comedian from South Africa, born during apartheid. He's born to a South African mother and a white European father. He has two younger siblings. Um, he began hosting the Daily Show on Comedy Central back in 2019. Nope. In 2015. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think after two years, they extended his contract out to 2022. Okay. Um, He has several comedy specials and is the subject of a documentary called You Laugh, But It's True. Mm -hmm. He released his first book, Born a Crime, Stories from a South. uh, I'm sorry. This is his first book ever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Born a Crime Stories from a South African Childhood in November 2016. It made the bestsellers list. Mm-hmm. Um, his audio book was Audible's highest rated audio book of 2016. And that's how I experienced the book. <laughs> I did listen to it. Yep. And yeah. Keep mm-hmm. saying listen to. You know, it's that's the, the same thing. as reading, it's, guys. It's, no, it it's is not. not. Oh, but, good. Oh, but sometimes it's better. This is one of those times. <sighs> okay, my past. Okay. Did you see him on Dancing with the Stars? I did not. Shaking his hips. It was hilarious. <laughs> is it I, online somewhere? Oh, it's on YouTube. Please look it up. I will. I promise. <laughs> as soon as this is over, I am going to look that up. That's disturbing. Because okay. I know he Because <laughs> I know he has he has involvement in a lot of local <laughs> stuff in oh, South and Africa sure, yeah. as he was coming up. Yeah. So that makes sense. Getting a name um, for himself out there. Trevor Noah is a, a four. <laughs> no, go ahead. Stop it, would you? Is a polyglot. Oh, he's he multilingual. Is that when you win like an Oscar and a Grammy? No. And a I think that's an EGUT. Mm-hmm. Whoopi got one of them things. Mm-hmm. But no, that means he's multilingual. And then they're actually doing a movie about his life. And it's based on the book. It's cool. actually based on Born a Crime. So, yeah. Yeah, Lupita, I hear, is going to play his mom. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, the most prominent character. It sounds like, or one of the most, of course, in the movie, since her, his mom truly played such a large part in his life. Well, and then also, I don't know if you know this, but he was the computer voice in... Oh, yes. Black Panther. <laughs> Which is such a random that's like I want to get in this movie what can you give me can I be in the movie and they're like well Trevor we casted all the I want it's in Africa I want to okay you can be the computer I think it went that way very so group Vin Diesel stop it. it I don't blame him it was good I'm I he didn't recognize credits. him yeah he is in the credit <laughs> no you wouldn't so but it's fine it's great very cool contribute it well, if you could give us a brief synopsis with no spoilers, that would be great. Cut this thing down. Let us know what this book is in a few sentences. Okay. Born a Crime is the story of a child. Why are you laughing at me? <laughs> why are you po- why is your finger in the air like you was really teaching the class? Go ahead. Born a Crime, period. Go ahead. This is how I speak. Born a Crime is the story of a child born to a white Swiss father, Swiss German father right, right. Mm-hmm. and a black coast don't do that don't do it don't do it mother i think i got it right i don't believe you uh, stop it <laughs> Kosa mother towards the end of apartheid in south africa yes we learn stories about his family and friends through Trevor's stories, we learn of him as a mischievous young boy he was terrible mm-hmm. his mother as a fearless and religious woman and the stories are filled with humor, poverty, violence, and a mother's unconditional and unconventional love. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Through the stories, we can also hear Trevor's disgust of apartheid and the effects it leaves behind. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be really good. Um, did you have any first thoughts about it? Yeah. So, um, of course, I knew about apartheid, but I didn't know about Trevor Noah. I've just been pretending at dinner parties. (laughs) (laughs) And you told me earlier that you were first introduced to Trevor Noah by me. (laughs) That's hilarious because you know way more about him than I do. (laughs) So when I opened this book, it was cool because I I really had no um, preconceived notions, ideas of what I would find. And in the first chapter, I was all in. I mean... From the first sentence, I'll say, and the Audible book helps that because he's telling the story and he's a very good storyteller. He can adapt um, different personalities and dialects um, very 
easily. So he really brought his childhood to life for me. So you could hear, I mean, of course you listen to it, but the languages, I bet that was. He is maybe very good at listening to the book now that it's been read. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about you? Cool. What were your first thoughts? Well, I'm a fan. And like I mentioned, I was introduced to him through you. But when I was posing. Um, the cultural. And it's only out. because you showed me a clip of something. So, oh, OK, OK. But I had heard of him before that because he was taken over for for John Stewart and there was a bit of controversy around it. So that was probably the first time I saw him. I guess there were some Twitter jokes. Um, so I'd never watched anything that he'd done. But earlier uh, this year, I started following him on social media. And so I watched all of his comedy specials mm. and the documentary. And then um, all that was left was the book. So, so how are they? Is he funny? <laughs> I don't know anything about him. <laughs> wow. Yeah, he is funny. I think he's funny. Yeah, well, if this book is indi- any indication, he's hilarious. It, you, you know, everybody's not all the time funny, yeah, but I do. on all the time. Right. But I do believe he's funny. I laugh at his jokes. Um, and I laugh. Part. Yeah, and I laugh at, um, I laughed in this book. Awesome. So. Well, let's get into this deep dive plot summary. I know you got some goodies for us. Please tell us about Born a Crime by Trevor Noah. Okay, so the book starts with this very important piece. Oh, yes. It is the Immorality Act of 1927. I just want to read a piece of it. Please. To prohibit illicit carnal intercourse between Europeans and natives and other acts in relation thereto. So Trevor starts the book which is really interesting, kind of talking about how apartheid, like the basis of it. Yes. Is it the basis of it? Or he calls just, it apartheid. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And he talks about the divides between the tribes, which is very interesting to learn. Um, well, anyway, it boils down to these two dominant groups, the Kosu. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. <laughs> and the Zulu. <laughs> right. And they're, the Zulu group is the um, warriors. And the Kosa group. You know, there's a there. This is like the language that clicks. And so we are not. Uh, please forgive us if you do indeed speak this language. We do not know how to pronounce it correctly. And I listen to it. So I've heard it oh, like man. hundreds of times. And I'm not even going to try. The way it's pronounced here, really? Oh, <gasps> darn it all. Anyway, yeah. I'm going to stop trying. <laughs> anyway, um, the um, Kosa group is the thinking group. And I mean, he might be biased in that sense, right? Because his mother is of that tribe and he identifies with that tribe. Right. But then also, um, I think we've always been told that um, the Zulus were warriors. That's true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you remember the movie? Mm, what movie? With Shaka Zulu. Oh, you know, I've never seen that. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, so... He talks about um, Mandela being, I think he was about six years old when Mandela was released. When Mandela yeah. was released. So he starts his story um, telling about his mom yeah. or his family, um, the women in his family and how religious they are. His mom is super religious. Um, his grandmother is religious. She's religious, but she also, um, she mixes the Christian oh, sure. with the um Native faith. Native faith, mm-hmm. yes. And then for his mom, she was just like flat out Christian. Mm-hmm. She believed in Jesus. She went to church three times. In one day. In one day. Mm-hmm. And let me just check my notes here. Um, she went to three churches, an integrated <laughs> mega church. <laughs> Where? Stop. What? <laughs> Sorry. I'll let you continue. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> The pastor of that church competed to be Mr. Universe yeah. and lost. <laughs> you remember who won? Yes, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So he thought, this ain't working. I'm going to become a pastor. And a pastor he became. Yeah. But at that church, they made Jesus cool. <laughs> yeah, that's what he said. They made Jesus cool. Right. And then the next. Jubilant mixed church. Mm-hmm. And then the next church was a white church. And he said that's where they were focused on interpreting passages from the Bible. I think he also said they had the jumbotrons. What I remember about white church is that he was separated 
with the kids and they basically right. played games all day yep. and it was Bible quizzes. And it was easy. Yeah, because all easy. he knew was the Bible because his right. mama didn't let him read Do anything else or listen else. to any other music but yep. religious music. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then after that was the black church. Right. It was an in- informal outdoor <laughs> black church whose congregants spent hours praying for Jesus to alleviate their suffering. Right. I have nothing. He said said black church was rough. Yeah, he said that was hard because it was the longest. I think he said that was the longest. And the hottest and the Mm -hmm. most uncomfortable. And they would beat you up to get the spirits out. And if the spirits wouldn't come out, they would beat you harder. So they better come out the first time if you know what's good for you. (laughs) It sounds like it was pretty rough. So they went to church every week, every Sunday, regardless. They went to church when their mom, when his mom's car broke down. It was him <laughs> and his little brother, Andrew. Right. And the car was a secondhand car, a used mm-hmm. car, if you will. And it was just never very reliable. Like a lemon, yeah. Yeah, like a lemon. And so um, he had some issues with this car. And then this car. And then one day, he's, he, I think he attributed <laughs> everything that happened bad in his life. To a used car. To a used car. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to convince his mom. This car won't start. Maybe today ain't the day for church. It's the devil, she said about the stalled car. The devil doesn't want us to go to church. That's why we've got to catch minibuses. Whenever I found myself up against my mother's faith-based obstinacy, I would try, as respectfully as possible, to counter with an opposing point of view. Or, I said, the Lord knows that today we shouldn't go to church which is why he made sure the car wouldn't start so that we stay at home as a family and take a day of rest because even the Lord rested. Ah, that's the devil talking, Trevor. No, because Jesus is in control. And if Jesus is in control and we pray to Jesus, he would let the car start. But he hasn't, therefore... No, Trevor. Sometimes Jesus puts obstacles in your way to see if you overcome them. Like Job, this could be a test. Ah, yes, mom, but the test could be to see if we're willing to accept what has happened and stay at home and praise Jesus for his wisdom. No, that's the devil talking. Now go change your clothes. But mom, Trevor, sunkhela. Sunkhela is a phrase with many shades of meaning. It says, don't undermine me. Don't underestimate me and just try me. His mom was no joke. His mom was no joke. <laughs> Thank you, Trevor. Um, everyone give it up for our surprise guest. Hey. Mr. Trevor Noah. Yay. Thank you, Trevor. <laughs> and thanks for showing up to my dining room. Thanks. <laughs> but the thing about that, him and his mom were very close. And you can tell the way she talked to him like he was an adult. Right. And I think they talk about that later on. So much of this book kind of reminds the mother reminds me of myself as a mother. Mm. So it was it was just very interesting to read. I was really touched. Um, but they had a really close relationship. They were con- they considered themselves a team, or he considered was it him or both of them? no 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 she both said of it them. Too. Even when she gave him a spanking, mm-hmm. um, which he got a lot of because he was the worst. Was um, really she would explain why. And there was no hurt feelings. Right. You did, who did something bad? And he would say, I did. Okay, now it's time to watch TV. You yeah. TV waiter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he, it was cute. That was very cute. It was very <laughs> cute. But um, yeah, so one of the things they talk about early on in the book is the difference between Zulu women and yeah, his mother's tribe. Women. <laughs> right. I'm going to get it. And Kosa women. And Kosa women were supposed to be um, whores, if you will. Is it? I think that's how. Okay, let's start that over and say promiscuous on three. (laughs) No, go ahead. Yeah, that that was the stereotype. Yeah, it was the stereotype. All negative thing. In fact, it says disgusting women. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so... um, um, so he, he tells this story of a time when the car broke down. And as we heard from the reading, they go to church anyway. Mm-hmm. They go to church anyway. And it, wait, I think they actually drove to church, but the car broke down while they were at church. On the road, I believe. On, I think it is on the road. <laughs> yeah. The car broke down on the road. So they ended up having to 
um, hitch a ride. That's right. Right. So they hitch a ride. Well, the plan was to take a minibus, mm-hmm. which is like this gypsy cab service that the people make because the municipality is not going to do anything for the black people in South right. Africa. So right. they make their own system of transportation, but it was taking forever for the minibus to come. So they hitchhiked. So they hitchhiked. And so um, a woman is more likely to be picked up if she doesn't have children <laughs> with her. That's right. So she had Trevor hide in the bushes in with the his bushes. brother, I think. In the bushes with his brother. And then when a car pulled up, she said, come on, kids. And they hopped in the car. Right. So then we kind of hear the story um, about what happened. Yeah, because he's the driver is driving along a route that belongs to basically a rival tribe. Right. And so a minibus pulls up, cuts him off, and out jump um, men with weapons. Right. And it looks like they might even kill him, but his mother, Trevor's mother, goes, hey, we wanted a minibus anyway. Right. Leave him alone and we'll ride with you. Right. So she gets in and the guy starts scolding her about riding with a man, alone with a man. Right. And she doesn't suffer fools, so she's basically like, hi, mind your business, Okay. And then he starts to become more aggressive with her. And it looks like he's not going to let her out of the car, even with her children. My mother sat next to me holding baby Andrew. She looked out the window at the passing road and then leaned over to me and whispered, Trevor, when he slows down at the next intersection, I'm going to open the door and we're going to jump. I didn't hear a word of what she was saying, because by that point, I'd completely nodded off. It felt like a dream until the pain hit. Bam! I smacked hard on the pavement. My mother landed right beside me, and we tumbled and tumbled and rolled and rolled. I was wide awake now. I went from half asleep to what the hell? Eventually, I came to a stop and pulled myself up, completely disoriented. I looked around and saw my mother already on her feet. She turned and looked at me and screamed, run! So I ran and she ran and nobody ran like me and my mom. I turned to her in shock. What was that? Why are we running? What do you mean why are we running? Those men were trying to kill us. You never told me that. You just threw me out of the car. I did tell you. Why didn't you jump? Jump? I was asleep. So I should have left you there for them to kill you. At least they would have woken me up before they killed me. Back and forth we went. I was too confused and too angry about getting thrown out of the car to realize what had happened. My mother had saved my life. So, (laughs) Trevor. (laughs) Trevor is so funny. One of the things I remember is that he was a good runner. Yes, him and his mom. Him and his mom. He won an award in school for being the best runner, and that was because he was always running from his mom, and his mom won the (laughs) The mom's version. The mom's version of the same award. award. Yeah, Yeah, so, yeah. (laughs) My favorite part, or one of my favorite parts, is um, as he got older and fast, she got um, more creative yes. in how to catch him. And so if he outran her, she'd scream, thief, <laughs> stop. Thief. And yeah. then all the strangers would jump on him. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's very funny. But then he was like, no, that's my mother. Right. That's my mother. <laughs> so he tried to stop. But So we go in a little further into the story and they talk a little bit about the mom and the dad. Um, just very briefly, mm-hmm. mom had come gone to the big city the big city yeah Yeah. Johannesburg Mm -hmm. to live which was not normal because women usually worked in the factory and she decided to go to school and do some (laughs) learn how to type typing (laughs) classes so she did the secretarial for a job she would never she would never have under apartheid so before apartheid even fell down her mind was all, already not confined to the, those boundaries. Right. Those she re- she actually refused to. Mm-hmm. So she she goes into the city. She met Robert, his dad, mm-hmm. through this arrangement. Um, he lived down the hall. He lived down the hall from them. And, and after some time, after being friends for a while, they um, she wanted to have a child. So and she I want to have it with you. And he said no for a long time. And then one no. day he said yes. And then one day he said yes. They had a child. She goes to the hospital 
And what did they say? <laughs> this baby is very light. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, yeah, he's from, um, <laughs> she named some other yeah. country in That's Africa. That's right. Where <laughs> they're no lighter shade it. and nobody yeah. questioned it. So the dad's name is not on the birth certificate. Right. So that mm-hmm. documentation is not And there. when she um, propositioned the father, she told him, you don't have to be in this child's life. I want something to love. But when she came back from the hospital, he came and asked for his son. Yep, he said, so he wanted to be son? in his life. Mm-hmm. Where's my son? So we learn um, Trevor, they kind of grew up in this area hiding, of mm-hmm. course, because they could never be together. Trevor couldn't be with him. Well, they tried at first. Like, they all went to the park together, and she acted like the maid. Yep. But then he started running after Robert, calling him, him dad, dad, and mm-hmm. Robert ran. Right. Which is heartbreaking. That is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But um, we also learned that um, Trevor grew up with his great-grandmother, and her name was Coco. and But she was blind, blind and, but she could hear. <laughs> so it seems like her mind was very sharp. She was ancient. Ancient. She was a million years old, so her body was useless to her, but her brain was sharp. So she couldn't see, but she could hear yeah. very well. Yeah, and Co- he said he was about five, and he said his grandmother and Coco, which is the great mo- great-grandmother, would have these long conversations, but to him, she wasn't real. A real person. She wasn't a real Did person. Did you have any um, older ones in your family like that where you they were just like a— permanent structure in the home but you didn't really see them as real because <laughs> they didn't move about with everyone else mm, I, no I can't yeah, say that I can I only that. think of um, grandparents in the south who mm. we would visit and I remember them being so old that it seemed like they weren't real <laughs> oh wow yeah and they so didn't so old they didn't yeah. seem real that <laughs> they is looked really like something. wood they looked like wood yeah wow mm-hmm. oh, that's deep so no I didn't have that experience <laughs> But um, as I was Sorry, saying, I don't know what I'm saying. It's very late. I'm tired. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> they did, though. <laughs> so one time he didn't go to church. I think he was supposed to be sick. And so he Is was that right. I think so. He didn't go to church with his mom. So he was home and Coco was in the room, but he was in the no, kitchen no, no, because no. Coco stayed in the kitchen all the time. So, yeah, they would wake Coco up every day just to put her in front of the oven to yes. keep her warm. Because mm-hmm, she was And leave cold. her there all day and then take her back to bed at night. Right. And he had to go to the bathroom, but he had forgot about Coco. Mm-hmm. And, and the bathroom for them, can you explain that setup? The bathroom is not in the house. It's outside. And so one day... Like communal. Yeah. And... And not pretty. It's not pretty because he said it was... He didn't want to go outside and be. He thought flies, snakes, <laughs> flies. His, his um, phobia was that flies were gonna um, fly inside of him <laughs> when he went to the bathroom. But he was also a young boy. He was like five. Is that right? Yes. Uh, in my mind yes. he was like fifteen. No, he was not. <laughs> he was a little boy. He was five year old. Five years old when this episode occurred. Right. So in this episode, he laid out some newspaper in the kitchen. And decided, just like the dogs, I'm going to go to the bathroom in the kitchen (laughs) on the floor. Because he's home alone and he's a terrible child. He's a terrible child. And he forgot his grandma was in the kitchen. (laughs) Then, the softest plop of a little boy turd on the newspaper. Coco's head snapped toward the sound. Who's there? Hello? Hello? I froze. I held my breath and waited. Who's there? Hello? I kept quiet, waited, then started again. Is somebody there? Trevor? Is that you? Francis? Hello? Hello? She started calling out the whole family. Who's there? What's happening? It was like a game, like I was trying to hide and a blind woman was trying to find me using sonar. Every time she called out, I froze. There would be complete silence. Who's there? Hello? I'd pause, wait for her to settle back in her chair, and then I'd start up again. Finally, after what felt like forever, I finished. I stood up, took the newspaper, which is not the quietest thing, and I slowly folded it over. 
It crinkled. Who's there? Again, I paused, waited. Then I folded it over some more, walked over to the rubbish bin, placed my sin at the bottom, and gingerly covered it with the rest of the trash. Mission accomplished. An hour later, the rain had stopped. My grandmother came home. The second she walked in, Coco called out to her. Francis, thank God you are here. There's something in the house. What is it? I don't know, but I could hear it, and there was a smell. My grand started sniffing the air. Dear Lord, yes, I can smell it too. Is it a rat? Did something die? It's definitely in the house. They went back and forth about it, quite concerned. And then, as it was getting dark, my mother came home from work. The second she walked in, my grand called out to her. Oh, nombuiselo, nombuiselo, there's something in the house. What? What do you mean? Coco told her the story, the sounds, the smells. Then my mom, who has a keen sense of smell, started going around the kitchen, sniffing. Yes, I can smell it. I can find it. I can find it. She went to the rubbish bin. It's in here. She lifted out the rubbish, pulled out the folded newspaper underneath and opened it up. <laughs> yeah, so... <laughs> Trevor was so bad. <laughs> the worst. He was five and he was cutting it's up like this. Worst. His grandmother, great grandmother, was calling out to him <laughs> and he just ignored her. Uh, yeah, he's a naughty boy. <laughs> he's a naughty boy. <laughs> so we learned a little bit about his mom and her her life experience and how um, she really loved her dad. Maybe mm-hmm. didn't get along so well with her mom, but she wanted to go with her dad, and her dad ends up sending him away to her, her his sister. Well, he was bipolar, right? Yeah, he was mm-hmm. also bipolar um, on a farm where she just worked, worked, yeah. worked, worked like a um, slave. So she kind of tells the story about, she never tells her full story, mm-hmm. but there were some expressions that she shared with him. So, yeah, she ran away from that environment because it was just like being a maid. Um, and she thought, well, I want to be free. So she chose a different path. My mother never sat me down and told me the whole story of her life in Transkai. She'd give me little bursts, random details, stories of having to keep her wits about her to avoid getting raped by strange men in the village. She'd tell me these things and I'd be like, lady... Clearly, you do not know what kind of stories to be telling a 10-year-old. My mom told me these things so that I'd never take for granted how we got to where we were. But none of it ever came from a place of self-pity. Learn from your past and be better because of your past, she would say. But don't cry about your past. Life is full of pain. Let the pain sharpen you, but don't hold on to it. Don't be bitter. And she never was. The deprivations of her youth, the betrayals of her parents, she never complained about any of it. Just as she let the past go, she was determined not to repeat it. My childhood would bear no resemblance to hers. She started with my name. The names Tossa families give their children always have a meaning, and that meaning has a way of becoming self-fulfilling. You have my cousin, Mlungisi, the fixer. That's who he is. Whenever I got into trouble, he was the one trying to help fix it. He was always the good kid, doing chores, helping around the house. You have my uncle, the unplanned pregnancy, Velile. He who popped out of nowhere. And that's all he's done his whole life. Disappear and reappear. He'll go off on a drinking binge and then pop back up out of nowhere a week later. Then you have my mother, Patricia Nombuiselo Noah. She who gives back. That's what she does. She gives and gives and gives. She did it even as a girl in Soweto. Playing in the streets, she would find toddlers, three and four-year-olds, running around unsupervised all day long. Their fathers were gone and their mothers were drunks. My mom, who was only six or seven herself, used to round up the abandoned kids and form a troop and take them around to the Shabins. They'd collect empties from the men who were passed out and take the bottles to where you could turn them in for deposits. Then, my mom would take that money, buy food in the spaza shops, and feed the kids. She was a child, 
taking care of children. When it was time to pick my name, she chose Trevor, a name with no meaning whatsoever in South Africa, no precedent in my family. It's not even a biblical name. It's just a name. My mother wanted her child beholden to no fates. She wanted me to be free to go anywhere, do anything, be anyone. So yeah, I, I really like that part yeah. because it just shows how um, non-traditional his mom was and the way she thought about how she was going to rear her child, what she was going to expose him to. And she wasn't going to allow him to just be shaped by his environment. Right. Or his just his name. Yeah. <laughs> just his name. Right. So that was a really interesting piece. But then... You, you really learn about their relationship mm-hmm. in this book. It, it's really endearing mm-hmm. to hear the stories. And like each... when they start arguing in letters because she's <laughs> done talking to him. Yes. Yes. <laughs> she writes him professional letters and he has to write back if he has a rebuttal. Yeah. That's right. That, so cute. I really enjoyed their relationship. There was an incident in the in the book where he talks about going to the store with his mom and he's asking for he keeps asking Asking and asking for, I think it was a candy apple, yeah. toffee apple or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he just literally would not stop asking for this apple. And so she lets him get it. She lets him get it. Please, can I have a toffee apple? 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 Finally. Once we had our groceries and my mom was heading to the front to pay, I succeeded in wearing her down. Fine, she said. Go and get a toffee apple. I ran, got a toffee apple, came back and put it on the counter at checkout. Add this toffee apple, please, I said. The cashier looked at me skeptically. Wait your turn, boy. I'm still helping this lady. No, I said. She's buying it for me. My mother turned to me. Who's buying it for you? You're buying it for me. No, no. Why doesn't your mother buy it for you? What? My mother? You're my mother. I'm your mother? No, I'm not your mother. Where's your mother? I was so confused. You're my mother. The cashier looked at her, looked back at me, looked at her again. She shrugged like, I have no idea what that kid's talking about. Then she looked at me like she'd never seen me before in her life. Are you lost, little boy? Where's your mother? Yeah, the cashier said. Where's your mother? I pointed at my mother. She's my mother. What? She can't be your mother, boy. She's black. Can't you see? My mom shook her head. Poor little colored boy lost his mother. What a shame. I panicked. Was I crazy? Is she not my mother? I started bawling. You're my mother. You're my mother. She's my mother. She's my mother. She shrugged again. So sad. I hope he finds his mother. The cashier nodded. She paid him, took our groceries, and walked out of the shop. Yeah, so... She was not above them games. No, she was not. Because he was always trying to outsmart her, Mm -hmm. so she had to outsmart him first. She really did. Yeah. (laughs) He was left so confused. I I mean, this is in the loophole section of the book. I don't know why, but um, his mom had a friend who lived in, um, was this right? The the man lived in a garage in the back of a white family's home. Yeah, I don't know if it was in that church. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they burned the house down. In the, in the white family's home, there was a maid, and Trevor used to play while his mom was with the guy who lived in the garage um, hanging out. Then Trevor would play with the maid's son. Mm-hmm. And one day, because Trevor was obsessed with fire, he had matches and a magnifying Trevor glass. Trevor was bad. He was bad. <laughs> they left it. <laughs> and it looks it sounds like the back of the house or a or shed a shed in the back yeah the shed in the back and they went and played and did something else and forgot about it and it caught fire and burned the house down this is white people house yes uh, a white family's home and Trevor ends that um, section with I didn't feel bad about it at all I still don't things happen <laughs> they had insurance <laughs> But I think his mom second that. She didn't feel bad about it. (laughs) 
I, was that the case? I think so. I promise you I believe I read that. He said one uncle stopped calling him Trevor and called him Terror. <laughs> <laughs> he was really a bad boy. Yeah, he was really bad. <laughs> he was really bad. So he, we really learned a little bit about his father, but nothing at all because his father wasn't very... Um, he didn't really share a lot. He lived a very private life. Yeah. But his father at, um, we learned that his father owned a restaurant. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it sounds like when Trevor was younger, his father right. opened a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Because um, he didn't really believe in uh, apartheid. So let's hear it. Okay. Trevor, um, can you tell us more about your father and the, re- okay. <laughs> Because racism never made sense to my father. He never subscribed to any of the rules of apartheid. In the early 80s, before I was born, he opened one of the first integrated restaurants in Johannesburg, a steakhouse. He applied for a special license that allowed businesses to serve both black and white patrons. These licenses existed because hotels and restaurants needed them to serve black travelers and diplomats from other countries who, in theory, weren't subject to the same restrictions as black South Africans. Black South Africans with money, in turn, exploited that loophole to frequent those hotels and restaurants. My dad's restaurant was an instant booming success. Black people came there because there were few upscale establishments where they could eat, and they wanted to come and sit in a nice restaurant and see what that was like. White people came because they wanted to see what it was like to sit with black people. The white people would sit and watch the black people eat. And the black people would sit and eat and watch the white people watching them eat. The curiosity of being together overwhelmed the animosity keeping people apart. The place had a great vibe. The restaurant closed only because a few people in the neighborhood took it upon themselves to complain. They filed petitions and the government started looking for ways to shut my dad down. At first, The inspectors came and tried to get him on cleanliness and health code violations. Clearly, they had never heard of the Swiss. That failed dismally. Then they decided to go after him by imposing additional and arbitrary restrictions. Since you've got the license, you can keep the restaurant open, they said. But you'll need to have separate toilets for every racial category. You'll need white toilets, black toilets, colored toilets, and Indian toilets but then it will be a whole restaurant of nothing but toilets. Well, if you don't want to do that, your other option is to make it a normal restaurant and only serve whites. He closed the restaurant. Let's take a quick break. So Trevor, when he was in school, in his school years, like middle school, if you will. Yeah. I think in that, that time period, he made friends because he could speak so many languages and he got those languages early on from his family and mm-hmm. the neighborhood kids, that kind of thing. So uh, he didn't fit in with any group, but he fit in because he could speak the languages. They would, they could accept him. Right. And so he identifies as a black man. Yeah. If, it, if there was a group he fit in most with, it was the black kids mm-hmm. who, um, he has a expression about being an inside outsider. Yeah. But anyway, um, because the colored kids thought that he thought they, he was better than them. Because he acted black, which was weird because on social scale, colored was higher than black in right. South Africa at that time. And then the white kids, of course, didn't accept him because he was obviously not white. Right, too black. Yeah, so um, the black kids accepted him the most. And he identified with the black culture being raised in a black African household. Right. right. So that felt more natural for him. So dope. But in school, he's that fast runner. So he can get to the the cap. <laughs> cafe if you will yeah in school faster than everybody so he takes orders so he is the guy that you can give some extra money to and he'll go and get your order before everybody else right. so people took advantage of that trevor took advantage of that he made money off of that That was like his first hustle yep and then he also sold cds mm-hmm. he sold cds and what else did he sell 
Well, then he just started selling everything. After school, he would do these deals where um, perhaps a crackhead was selling a VCR <laughs> and someone on the corner couldn't afford to buy it that day but could afford it in a week. So they would loan money to the working man to yeah. buy um, these crackhead goods. <laughs> yeah. And then one day, a man who's been stealing a goods at the airport to sell to Trevor yeah. sells them a camera. And he sees on it the photos of the family that owned it originally. And he feels like crap. Yeah. But it doesn't sound like he stops hustling. No, he doesn't. But he did <laughs> but begin he to hates think. himself for it. Yeah. yeah. I think he for did the first begin time. to think about it at that point, um, what he was doing. Mm -hmm. he, it was the first time that he really got to think and about it. And too bad it. he didn't act on those thoughts because he, in the middle of a cell phone scam, <laughs> um, got pulled over by the cops for stealing his dad's stepdad's car and got put in prison yeah then he gets put in prison yeah and that so, was interesting yeah so this part I, it stands out to me it's huge it's huge it's huge <laughs> it stands out to me because he goes to jail and he's determined because at this point he's uh, probably 19 maybe and mm, he's yeah. away from it he doesn't live with his mom so he decides he is not going to tell his mom he's just <laughs> going to work with his cousin and his cousin had gone off to school but he was going to work with his cousin his cousin could get borrow some money from his dad and they'll get him out on bail or get him a lawyer I thought it was and the lawyer would arrange for right, everything yeah. right because this one was a little deep and so he's waiting for his opportunity to go before the judge right so when he goes before the judge mm -hmm. somebody oh he goes into this other room where all the hardened criminals are I'm so sorry but Trevor is at this point relaxing his hair <laughs> and braiding it having it braided because girls like that but when he's in prison it's all up in a ponytail. So his hair is semi-straight in a ponytail and he's a pretty man. And as soon as he walks into this holding cell. Right before court. Yeah. Someone's like, oh, it's going to be a good night tonight. That's the prettiest man I ever seen. And Trevor is like terrified. Yeah. So he he goes into this holding cell. This is right. It sounds like it's right below it's the under court. the court. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's right before you go up. So it's a way to keep him housed in. And what happens is you go in there and you can see all the divisions, all the groups. Racially. You got, yeah. Mm -hmm. You see the colored. You see the whites. You see black, the mm -hmm. black, the various groups of the blacks. Mm -hmm. And he has to decide where he sits. Mm -hmm. And he decided to go with the whites because the colored people were notorious killers yeah they he likened it to the cartel in mexico yeah yeah and he thought worse. at least if i go with the whites they can't beat me up right <laughs> he said that was his safest bet and the man told him whatever you do don't come back down here so that's the thing the judge when you go up the judge either lets you out on bail or sends you back but if you get sent back you're no longer in jail you're in prison and, and your life will different. never be the same yeah and the, the way he described that you guys got to read it because yeah. it, it's it's really intense. So he gets up there and says, the judge says something to him and he immediately starts crying. He said, well, he thought the judge said, how you doing? <laughs> or, yeah, how, yes, you doing? how are you doing? And he says, not good, judge. I'm not doing good. He says, what? I didn't ask how you're doing. <laughs> I said, what's your name? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So he um, he explains this. Well, it was already set up for him. So he was released. Yeah. He was released from yeah, prison. He, never, he was never in prison. He was just right. in jail. He was released <laughs> from jail. And so he was yeah. so happy mm -hmm. to have been released that he ends up going. Um, he, his cousin picks him up, takes him back to his house, changes clothes. He's there at his cousin's house. He sleeps. And then he goes to his mom's house the next day. And he's fronting like everything's good. Ma, you know, I ain't seen you in a while. But I'm good. How are you doing? Mm -hmm. His mom looks at him in this just sad, brokenhearted, disappointed way. And she said, what do you think? I'm crazy. Mm. She, she, so she really gives it to him. And she said, the reason I ride you so hard and give you so much is because I love you. Everything I have ever done, I've done from a place of love. If I don't punish you, the world will punish you. Even worse, the world doesn't love you. If the police get you, the police don't love you. Mm. When I beat you, I'm trying to save you. When they beat you, they're trying, they're to, trying kill to kill you. you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was deep. So we, to kind of wrap it up, we learn a little bit more about the mom and her relationship with the stepfather. He was abusive over the course of years. 
but they were so but sporadic. It was so sporadic. Yeah. Was so sporadic and when so. he was good, he was very good. Yep. And when he was bad, when he drunk, he was a different person. Yeah. And he would beat her badly, but only like every year or once every three years to the point where you feel like maybe he'll never do it again. And then he makes up for all that lost time. Right. And, and she would abuse. go to the police. And they would never do oh, anything. It was a, it was club, a yeah. good old boys club. And they mm-hmm. would get a pat on the back. Mm-hmm. And so eventually she left him, right? Right. And remarries. And remarries. Yeah. She leaves him and remarries. And she's going on about her life. And then one day he comes to the house. On church Sunday. On church Sunday. And it Sunday. sounds like the new husband and his entire family was joining he her does. in church. <laughs> so when they got back from their uh, long church day... Her ex-husband, who is the father of Trevor Noah's two youngest siblings, Mm -hmm. is standing in the driveway and he just starts shooting everybody. Yeah. The last part of that book came at me very fast. Did it really? Mm -hmm. Well, the thing for me was... got very serious very quickly. It was in a documentary. Oh, wow. So I had already known about it. Mm -hmm. And he gets the call during the documentary. Oh, my goodness. Yes. So that was like really crazy. Really was. Wow. So his mom gets shot. Well, there is a point where Abel, who's the ex-husband, stands over her and is trying to shoot her point blank and the gun won't fire. Three, maybe four times. Four times. And so she grabs her youngest, jumps in the car, and then the um, youngest says the windshield just went red because he shot her from the back windshield through her neck. Yep. So... Did you want to talk about that? And then it comes through her nose. Right. Um, So there's a hole in her face. Yeah. And so Trevor gets the call from his little brother. From the middle son. And Mm -hmm. I think he's nine years old at this point because the baby boy is four. No, that's really heartbreaking. And so he calls him and he says, hey, Trevor, how you doing? What you doing? Are you busy? Are you busy? (laughs) Right. Are you busy? (laughs) Trevor's like, no. What do you want? Yeah. Mom's been shot. And then, of course, Trevor kind of reacts to that mm-hmm. and um, goes to the hospital and he sees his mom and all he sees is all this blood. So mm-hmm. and a hole in her face and a hole in her face. So it's just that's like pretty distressing. But she's in a hospital and it turns out she doesn't have any insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they come out and they're like, well, we can't really help her. We need to transport her somewhere else. Because she and it's certain have death for her if mm-hmm. they don't treat her there. And he's like, "No, I, I can't. I no, treat my mom." And he gives him his credit card. No, 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 sir. You don't understand. It's very expensive. He's like, "No, no, go no, on, sir. No, you don't understand." And then he thinks about it. Like <laughs> she's had she a said, good run. This, this could be like five hundred thousand rand. You could spend the rest of your life paying this amount back. And he thought about things that his mom had told him mm-hmm. and said, mom probably wouldn't want me to this. That's real. That's what he said. Mom probably wouldn't want me to do And what if she didn't this. make it? You still and, owe that. And mm-hmm. you still owe that. And I'd be playing that black tax forever, he yeah. said. Mm-hmm. But then he finally decided to go on. <laughs> it's worth it. And his mom, of of course, survives. So the bullet that passed through the back of her head narrowly missed her brain and any vital um, arteries or essential parts. Basically, right. it took off a piece of her nose. A piece. Just a little piece of her nose. Yep. And um, she survived that. And she said, Jesus is my insurance. Yeah, that's goes, what well, said. Jesus didn't pay the bill. I know that. <laughs> and then she said, <laughs> you're my, G- did she say you're my Jesus? No, Jesus like blessed me with the son who Jesus could. Jesus blessed me with the that was a sweet, heartwarming story. Yeah. And, and a guy on TV said, not on TV, at the airport said to me, that's a great book. It's truly a love story to his mom. Oh. Yeah. I feel that that's uh, represents it well mm-hmm. in a yeah. non-creepy way. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we're back. So, Kari. Yes. What is the final verdict? I love this book. I highly recommend it. I felt like um, it left me feeling very grateful to the positive influences in my life. Just as Trevor is extremely grateful for his mother and for uh, the ones who really helped him see a world outside of his immediate neighborhood or um, sector. So, Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I love the book. What about you? What's your final verdict? Would you recommend it? I would. I, I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love the strength of the mom yeah. and her kind of thinking outside of the box as it relates to rearing her child in this um, this hateful environment. Suppressive, mm-hmm. hateful, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. and how she tried to get him out of that. Think bigger. And, yep, think bigger. So I really like it and I would really recommend it to definitely recommend it to somebody else to read. So very cool. All right. So that's it for this episode of Lit Society. We'll be back next week with My Sister the Serial Killer. I take full responsibility for this book. I haven't read it. <laughs> I've been in four, air, five airports this year, and it is, of course, all over all of them. It's a national bestseller. Is it really? Yeah, Nigerian author. And you already have yours, right? Yes, I do. Where'd you get it? The library. Oh, gee. Don't forget to bring some books back from the library. Right. I know you love the library. <laughs> So we'll see you guys next week. You can catch Lit Society. Well, first of all, Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast providers starting in 2020. If you're listening to this episode now, it's probably because we sent you a link privately and you're listening on SoundCloud. If you love the show, please share that with anyone you know personally who you think will also love it. Until next time. Bye. Read something by. <laughs>